if at the root of jealousy, if we think back to our roots, it's either my beliefs about myself or other people, or it's this hypervigilance, kind of self-defensive worry, or it's this fear of uncertainty, none of those things are going to change based on how much time of your partners you get, or getting more time than someone else, or having rules that impact how other people can interact with your partner. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're dissecting the green-eyed monster. That's right. We're deconstructing jealousy. Again. <laughs> this is this is a topic that we covered about four years ago, which is wild. And it's very overdue for an update. This has been one of our essential episodes that we recommend to people for a long time. But boy, you know, the audio quality is not great. I don't think we had nearly as much experience and hadn't gotten as much feedback from our audience and things. So I think uh, I'm really excited for us to tackle this topic again with our new selves. Our brand new selves. I think in short, four years in podcasting years is like mm. 50 years. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I feel like we're just older and wiser at least older, and that maybe counts for something. I don't know. At least we've we've got a lot of these under our belt, over three hundred now, so that's good. Yeah. yeah, but you know, there's this there's this Buddhist saying that today's wisdom is tomorrow's stupidity, and that I may, just may be true. That I just think true. of that constantly. It's such a curse. A quick terminology note for this episode: while people will sometimes talk about jealousy versus envy or talk about those words as if they're interchangeable and in practical usage they are i'm someone who's more like let's talk about words the way people use them and not just going well a dictionary says it's this one way and not this other but something we did want to clarify that for this episode i do think we're going to be focusing more on the jealousy side of things than the envy side of things. And what I mean by that is that jealousy, the difference is generally that jealousy is more about a fear of losing something or maybe a fear of being left out rather than envy, which is more of, I want something that someone else has either because I want to take it from them or I just want to have it for myself. That's a little bit different. And envy, while it can suck to experience, doesn't tend to be as insidious or difficult to deal with or as potentially dangerous as jealousy is that more of that fear of losing something or that fear of being left out so how how to define jealousy other than that very succinct definition it's like how that to you define just gave. love like <laughs> it's oh, I, okay. challenging my experience at this point i've done so many interviews Mm -hmm. So many interviews with normies, you know, where, pe where, where people ask the million dollar question about non-monogamy of like, uh, how do you handle jealousy? What do you do about jealousy? And it's like these days I end up spinning off into this like deep philosophical <laughs> like monologue about like, well, you know, like really, if we look at jealousy, there's all these different composite parts of it. And like, so these days my struggle is more about like dealing with like, you know, sadness or anger or trauma and, and just trying to, you know, like I just well, go off in this, this big old monologue and usually the person is just like, I, I don't know. I just wanted to hear that you were like an enlightened being who didn't feel <laughs> jealousy. I, did, I didn't really well, come here <laughs> for the philosophical monologue, but uh, I really like this, that it seems like, JC, you came across in certain scientific papers looking at jealousy, um, that it's sometimes defined as an agitated and angry form of worry. Yeah. 
And I thought that was interesting because it makes sense that there's a lot of similarity between worry and jealousy, right? Because it's about a fear of losing something or a fear of being left out. But that jealousy tends to have this more agitated quality to it. I don't even think it necessarily has to be angry all the time, because for some people, it's more jealousy leads to just crying all the time. But I think agitated, that like very heightened is a good descriptor of it. Kind yeah, of like anxiety inducing, maybe? Possibly. I, it's I guess it makes sense. Is kind, of, is kind of anxiety or anxiousness, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I can think about certain forms of FOMO that feel more like, oh, that's a bummer, or oh, that's kind of sad, uh, rather than this kind of, yeah, this like agitated, unsettled feeling. Mm-hmm. But that could be the product of some social conditioning as well. So there's a couple different ways to like think about jealousy and look at it. Like, where does it occur within a relationship? And one model is the curvilinear model of jealousy. So it looks at jealousy as being most common in situations where there's a higher investment, but also higher uncertainty. So there are certain like relationships that kind of embody that sentence. Yeah, let's try to clarify through some examples. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, at the beginning of a relationship, there is generally more uncertainty, but there's also less commitment. You just are getting to know this person. Maybe you haven't gotten really invested yet, so the likelihood of jealousy might be lower. Maybe the two of you are seeing multiple people. Maybe, you know, polyamory is what you're doing already. And so that's, you know, you don't potentially have that intrinsic, like, jealousy occurring at that particular moment at the beginning of a relationship. And then on the other spectrum, in a really long-term relationship, I'm looking at you two, you know, <laughs> seven plus years, uh, it, the investment is very high, but the uncertainty has kind of gone away. It's generally much lower. So there's also a much lower likelihood of jealousy in a situation like that. Yeah, definitely not impossible. But again, we're talking in likelihoods here. Mm-hmm. Um. But then when we kind of look at the middle of this curve, so like a little while into a relationship, so your investment is starting to ramp up, um, especially if you're, you know, escalating the relationship or if it's escalating rapidly, which sometimes happens, that the investment is high, but the uncertainty is also high because maybe it's like still less than six months that I've known this person and I still Mm -hmm. don't know, are they going to be there for me or what kind of person they are? And it could be even higher if there hasn't been enough time to develop really solid communication and trust. And it's like, that's the point that they find where jealousy is much more likely, which makes a lot of sense. I think both thinking about my personal experience and, you know, the experience of people around me that, you know, the story that I often hear from people, um, people who are kind of more in the traditional dating scenes, maybe not necessarily the non-monogamous dating scene, you know, people will be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm totally fine to tell my the person that I'm on a date with, like, oh, yeah, we're seeing other people. We both know that we're both seeing other people, and that's fine. You know, that's super cool. But generally, you find that as you start to connect more with this person and time goes on, that that phenomenon of like, oh, we're seeing other people and it's super cool and cash becomes less cool and cash for people, mm-hmm. I think, because of that that kind of dichotomy of both the uncertainty being there and the investment rising. Um, And this makes sense also when you think about opening up a relationship that has been monogamous, where even if you've been together for a really, really long time and you're at a point in your relationship where investment is high, but uncertainty is low, opening up the relationship can suddenly inject suddenly (laughs) a bunch of uncertainty (laughs) Mm -hmm. where there wasn't there before. And it can be likely to feel jealousy. This is something that I've seen currently with people dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, where couples who were successfully non-monogamous and actually flourishing quite a lot in polyamory, suddenly when the whole world has all this uncertainty going on, Hmm. that emotions get really thrown out of whack and like jealousy and insecurity come up out of nowhere in really unexpected ways. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. I like this model. I know it's, you know, like a lot of models, not perfect and not airtight, but I think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people's situations. And the reason why I wanted us to cover this in this episode is because I think it gives us some hope and it helps give us a little perspective. So if you're finding that you're really struggling with jealousy, take a look at this and think, am I 
starting to invest a lot more in this relationship? Am I pretty invested in this? Okay, yeah, I am. Uh, But there's also a lot of uncertainty right now and realizing maybe that's just because it's new. Or maybe that's because we've just opened up and that's new. So in both cases, it's kind of new and we haven't built up just enough experiences to know what to expect from ourselves, what to expect from our partners, what's normal in the world of non-monogamy or something like that, or just in this particular relationship, if you're not non-monogamous. And so I think it's just hopeful to remember that you have to build up experience to decrease that uncertainty, while also just becoming a little more comfortable with uncertainty, which we'll talk about more later. But I guess just that, that there's hope. I think this also is a good explanation for the really common phenomenon that we see of, you know, let's say we have two people who are non-monogamous and one person starts dating someone new and that new person is, you know, totally cool with their other partner that maybe they're living with or whatever. But then if they date someone else new in addition, that then Mm. suddenly things get really thrown out of whack. And I think it is that same thing of just the uncertain element of this new person you know, Mm -hmm. versus this partner that you've been dating for 10 years that I'm super familiar with or whatever. Um, That I think that explains that whole phenomenon as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So let's talk about jealousy as an emotion. Just emotional jealousy is separate from any actions that may occur because of being jealous. Uh, So this is a really universal human emotion. It's something that is truly important to depathologize because I think a lot of people, especially in non-monogamous communities, are like, I need to learn how to not become jealous. Like, that's the ultimate goal. But it is a thing that even really seasoned people in the community are going to feel from time to time. Absolutely. So a lot of the problems of jealousy really stem from those actions that we take, like the ways in which we choose to deal with it, because sometimes they're not very healthy. So uh-huh. a lot of, yeah, <laughs> a lot of the common ways to deal with jealousy are actually more likely to increase the suffering of the person doing them. And that leads to deeper and deeper problems. So we need to learn like how we learn to do things at work or like figure out our jealousy in social situations, things like that. We need to learn how to deal with our jealousy in more productive and healthy ways. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah, let's get into it. So we're going to start this episode talking about the pillars that, that jealousy is built on, or maybe the roots of jealousy. So I've put this together from various different studies and ways that people have looked at the causes of jealousy, and I've broken this into three categories here that we'll talk about. And then in the second half, we're going to look at four categories of ways that jealousy shows up. So we're going to first talk about the roots of it and then some ways it shows up as well as some unhealthy and healthier ways of dealing with it. So, okay, the first of the pillars that jealousy is built upon are our beliefs. And there's two parts to this. One is harmful beliefs about yourself or about others. And that's something like believing I'm not lovable or everyone leaves me, or I'm flawed, or I'm doomed, or things like that. Or it could be beliefs we have about other people, such as, well, you can't trust anyone. You know, other people are just going to abandon you, or other people, everyone's manipulative, or they're inferior to me, or something like that. These sort of intrinsic beliefs we have about ourselves or others can really do a lot to fuel jealousy. And then the second part of our beliefs is believing that our feelings are facts. And this is one of Dedeker's things she likes to say now and again, but let me give you an example of what this is. And that's that, say you're going to a therapist for the first time and you feel really nervous going into that meeting. The incorrect belief would be, I'm feeling nervous and uncomfortable, therefore therapy is a bad thing. Mm as opposed to... A logical fallacy. Right, it's a logical fallacy, exactly. As opposed to, oh, I'm going to therapy and I'm nervous because I must be thinking or experiencing some things that make me nervous about that situation, right? There's a subtle difference there, but it's actually a very large difference. 
And if you think about this with jealousy, it's like, oh, well, if I feel jealous, it must be because there's a reason to be jealous. That same sort of thing can lead to that cycle. Or I feel uncomfortable and that's intolerable, right? If something were good, I would never, ever feel uncomfortable or I would never, ever feel scared. Yeah. So the other pillar that jealousy is built on is hypervigilance. I I think initially, Jace, you also wanted to call this um, defensive worrying, which Mm -hmm. I liked. I I think that really hits the nail on the head. And I really resonate with this one. It's kind of this idea of if I'm hypervigilant, it's going to help me catch the painful thing before it hurts me, or it's going to help me prepare for the worst. Um, you know, it's this idea of if I can obsessively think about or worry about every single possible situation or every single possible way that I could get screwed over here, that's going to protect me. Uh, and this belief that if I let my guard down, then it's just going to be worse. If I let my guard down, I'm definitely going to get hurt. Finally, we have fear of uncertainty, which I think resonates with a lot of people, especially in, you know, when they're starting out in a non-monogamous situation and they don't quite know what's going on, they may do some things like uh, not knowing what their partner's real interests are. So they're going to try to like seek out clues or reassurance or do things to test their partner. Maybe, you know, try to hack into a phone and check a text message, something along those lines, or even just say things like, hey, you can never go over to a person's house and spend the night, for example, or you always have to be home with me in the evening. And that's just, you know, that will make me feel better about this situation. So it's this belief that you have to take action or find out what's really going on with your partner. And it really can result in a lot of like shitty behavior, like degrading your competitors. And we say competitors like that's in in quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In quotes, because yeah, it just that idea of seeing any other person that might be vying for your partner's attention as a competitor uh, doing things like surveillance on your partner. I've had that happen to me. Uh, threats to leave or, you know, having infidelity or, you know, even if you're in a non-monogamous situation, you may find some form of infidelity just to try to feel better. And it can be a result of that jealousy. Yeah, it's like this self-defensive infidelity that came up in some of these studies, which was basically this idea that, well... I need to protect myself from how hurt I might be if my part or partner were to cheat on me. So I'm going to hedge my bets here and I'm going to cheat on them first. Mm. Or I'm going to like keep something going over here just so that I'm not as vulnerable to them, I guess, is the, is the thinking. With these three pillars, I just want to make a note here. First of all, I don't want, again, in the interest of, like we said, depathologizing jealousy, first of all, I don't want anyone to internalize this idea of like, oh, you have these bad beliefs. Oh, you're just too hypervigilant. Oh, you have this fear of uncertainty. You need to get over all these things and then you won't be jealous. Like, first of all, I just want to put out there that having some harmful beliefs about yourself, worrying and being afraid of uncertainty is super duper normal. Like everybody goes through those things. And these are all three things that can be intensified if you have any particular trauma or pain points or relationship baggage around these things. So again, really want to um, undo this kind of narrative of like, oh, you're a jealous person, you need to get over it, or you need to just like deal with your insecurities or whatever. Um, That it's like these things, like, you know, the beliefs, the hypervigilance and the fear of uncertainty, all soups normal. Yeah, soups normal. It's a good way to put it. And the other thing, too, that came up in a lot of the research that gets reiterated over and over again is this idea that we evolved to experience jealousy because sometimes in some situations it is helpful to us. Mm. And I think that is an important thing also with depathologizing it, is that jealousy in itself isn't bad and the feelings aren't necessarily wrong. And jealousy itself isn't even necessarily harmful. It's when it gets out of hand and when we take actions that actually make it worse or harm ourselves or others, that's where it becomes a real problem. So, so yeah, it's not 
as I think Emily and Dedeker have both said earlier, the point is not to eliminate jealousy that you'll never, ever feel it, but just to find a better understanding of yourself through it and healthier ways of handling it when it does come up so that it's not negatively affecting your life. Now we're going to get into four major categories for ways that jealousy shows up in your life and talk a little bit more about some unhealthy and some healthier ways of dealing with each of those. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show and help keep this information coming to all y'all out there for free. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our (laughs) listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping, code M-U-L-T-I. So we've broken down into roughly four categories of the ways that jealousy can manifest as far as influencing your behavior, your actions, your thoughts, things like that. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is comparison. So, you know, this involves something that we all do, which is comparing the best parts of others to the worst parts of ourselves or what we perceive to be their best parts, comparing the experience of others as we imagine them versus our own real life experience. And as we've talked about on this show many times before, you know, social media specifically is a big influence on our ability to do this. Our brains are already kind of wired to want to do that. And then social media makes it even worse by the fact that people are encouraged to really specifically tailor and curate showing the best parts of themselves or the best parts of their experiences. And it can really take that whole dynamic and just dial it up to 11. Yeah. And specifically with social media, there's often just enough lack of information that your mind gets to fill in all the rest of it, right? It's That's oh, an interesting point. Yeah, uh, the, huh. the, yeah. just this idea that you're getting what seems like a lot of information about other people's lives, but you're missing all of the like real details, all of the actual stuff that you might get, even if they told you the same thing in person, that you'd be able to pick up on from their body language or their tone of voice or asking questions, that all that's missing. And so our imaginations just get to go hog wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the unhealthy ways that we can, you know, manifest comparison in our lives essentially are things like, first of all, there's just that of just having that really um, unhelpful thought space of really, really playing up your own terrible qualities in comparison to somebody else's fantastic qualities. Or we can kind of go the opposite way, like we can compare ourselves to someone else in a way where we're really trying to build ourselves up and put 
the other person down. And sometimes the way that I've seen this show up is by, you know, talking to your partner about how crappy their other partner is or Mm -hmm. how, you know, there's nothing of value in the relationship that they have with that person. You know, that's another way that comparison can show up in a bad way. Um, We can also enact kind of crappy things like, like vetoes or rules or, or means of trying to get control over someone that you compare yourself to, you know, in order to kind of make sure that that comparison, I guess, stays in check and you can still feel relatively safe. So those are some unhealthy ways. Let's talk about some healthy ways that we can deal with this sort of comparison pillar that we're talking about here. I So communicate. Just communicate that you need reassurance. If that's something that you need, communicate that you need more time with your partner. Or, you know, I just, I want our time when we're at home together and I see you going out on dates. Maybe I would love like a date night myself once or twice a week because i feel like we just get together and sit on the couch and that's not very special so let's have a special night out a couple times a week yeah i think also asking your partner for reassurance about your insecurities too and not to Mm -hmm. say okay unhealthy version would be tell me why i'm better than this other person or maybe there's a trait you know that they're very better than you they're they're a lot (laughs) better than you (laughs) they're very better than you right whatever that is for you whether that's that they have more money or they could do more pull-ups at the gym or whatever (laughs) it is it's not to say hey partner tell me how i'm actually better than them in this area but instead to say can you tell me what it is about me that's special what are the things about me that you care about is a more positive way of focusing on your own unique traits rather than making it about a comparison in specific ways to someone else. These are kind of non-monogamous centric, but I think like we can also have moments like this in monogamous relationships where, hey, I feel like my partner is really focused on work right now, hasn't been focusing on the relationship as much. Maybe I need reassurance. Maybe we need to kind of adjust expectations in terms of time and, and the quality of that time that we're spending together. Uh, But if you are in more of like a non-monogamous polyamorous situation, a great thing to do is to meet your metamors. And that's sometimes easier said than done. Sometimes a metamor doesn't want to reach out or to, you know, meet up face to face with you. But try to reach out because really getting to see another human being for what they are and what they stand for and, you know, kind of understanding perhaps why your partner is enamored with them, that can take some of the sting out of that jealousy pillar. The next category we have for how jealousy can show up is competition. And comparison and competition are a little bit similar to each other in that they're, they present themselves as this me versus another person kind of way of thinking. The difference here, though, is that Comparison's more just about looking at my own traits and and thinking, oh, I'm I'm not as good as this other person in some ways. And competition can tend to focus more on this kind of zero-sum thinking. Like, there's a limited number of resources, and I need to have the most of them. And competition can even show up in areas where you already feel pretty good about yourself normally, but you can get kind of obsessed with this idea of, I need to to completely dominate, or I need to put the other person down lower so that I know that I'm the winner in this category. It can get into some really negative stuff in the ways that we treat and talk about other people. And so it's definitely a big one to to look at. And it can show up in fairly commonplace ways, like how much time we spend together. So this is something that, you know, when Emily was talking about in comparison, asking for what you need, whether that's more quality time together or something, that can be really good. The dark side of that, though, is when it becomes part of this competition jealousy of, I need to have more time than someone else, and then I'll feel good. It's like this idea of, if I just win somehow in this area, that then I'll feel good. And it doesn't actually lead you to feeling better. Yeah, that's kind of an example of an unhealthy way of dealing with this competition section. 
Uh, maybe you're just booking more time with your partner. You're saying, okay, I need to see you at least four times a week because I'm top of the food chain here. And so I'm the one who gets the most time with you and I need to take it away in some way from the other people in your life. Or maybe you're making rules to enforce a hierarchy. I'm your primary partner. That means you don't get to do X, Y, and Z with your other partners. And I get veto power over everything because I'm your primary. Something along those lines. I think it's worth pointing out that all of these actions come from a desire to deal with the jealousy. But these unhealthy ones actually will make it worse. And so, like with that, with the hierarchy thing, it's if at the root of jealousy, if we think back to our roots, it's either my beliefs about myself or other people, or it's this hypervigilance, kind of self-defensive worry, or it's this fear of uncertainty. None of those things are going to change based on how much time of your partners you get, or getting more time than someone else, or having rules that impact how other people can interact with your partner that that's not going to change those core pieces. And so it will actually often make it worse because then you're causing a more restrictive situation for your partner, which isn't going to feel as good. And also for you, it's then, well, if I'm still feeling jealousy, even though I have that thing I thought I needed to be winning at, there must be something else wrong. There, there must be a deeper problem, right? It can lead itself into this cycle of just getting worse and worse by taking those sorts of ways to try and fix it. Well, I mean, but it's interesting that you say you talk about people kind of landing on that because that's not necessarily wrong. Like, I mean, my whole thing is like, you know, jealousy acts as almost like an x-ray or like a signpost that can guide you to the fact that like, oh, there's something underneath. Actually, there's something deeper that either is wrong or something that I'm longing for or something that I need to deal with. Um, but I guess what you're referring to, Jace, is more of thinking like, oh, I need to find more and more ways of like controlling or grasping for what I need. Like, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think that kind of like we talked about before, that jealousy itself isn't bad. And yeah, if it's like, well, I'm getting these things, but I'm still not feeling good, maybe there's something there to look at. But if you're finding that jealousy is consistently causing you to have a miserable time and to be more likely to make your partner have a miserable time, that's kind of when you can look at these things and think, well, maybe I'm trying to solve the wrong thing. Like I'm putting my energy into fixing one thing when actually there might be something deeper or in a slightly different area for myself that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think along those lines, some healthier ways of managing feelings of competition that come up is, again, I, I want to remind people that often there's longing underneath these things. And so sometimes we can realize like, oh, I didn't realize that after being with my partner for 10 years, I've missed going out on a fancy date with them. And I didn't even realize that I missed that until they started doing that with somebody else. Like, I think that is legitimate that you can realize, oh, I actually had this longing for actual quality time with my partner or actual quality time where we're not talking about adulting stuff or parenting stuff where it is just about the two of us. So that's very much something that can happen. And so that's something that could be good to identify and then find healthier ways of expressing those needs. Also on the flip side, you can sometimes feel competitive about something that you don't actually even want, you know, um, you can feel competitive around, you know, a certain amount of time when, you know, actually like you would really benefit from having less time filled up and having more time to yourself or stuff like that. So sometimes it can be a good reality check to check in with yourself and give yourself the opportunity to maybe enjoy the fact that you aren't doing something with your <laughs> partner. You know, maybe it's something, an activity that your partner really enjoys and you've never really enjoyed, but they get to do that with somebody else who does enjoy it as well. Stuff like that. And again, as always, you know, taking cues from these things to just check in and see what's really underneath it. You know, it might be that you need some more self-time or relaxation or a particular quality of time in your own life instead of taking it from somebody else. So let's talk about fear, because there's a lot of ways that fear can manifest itself in the context of jealousy. So Ooh, there's boy. things like fear of rejection. Uh, that's a big one. Fear of being alone. Absolutely. Fear of being left out, just FOMO, uh, being unloved, being less than, or being perceived as less than. So a lot of these things can kind of be 
really at the center of where jealousy is coming from. These are super deep insecurities, these thoughts of like being unloved out there, being left alone ultimately in our lives. And it can lead to more of the really intense knee-jerk reactions, the like quick, okay, I'm vetoing this, or I'm making a rule right now that means we can't do whatever, or you can't do whatever with your partners. And so, yeah, as with other issues involving fear, there's that belief of, I'm afraid, so that means this thing is dangerous, that means this thing is bad, and so we have to put an end to it. And that is a particularly troublesome idea to have just immediately about jealousy, like, my feelings are facts, and that's it. Yeah, and it is worth thinking, again, as Dedeker was saying last time, that there could be something there, right? Like there could be a real reason why you're feeling this insecurity because maybe your partner is actually being shady or maybe you have reason not to trust them. Like, yes, that's possible. And again, with all of this, it's, you really have to to check in and try to figure out, is this something coming from me and my insecurities or is this actually something that maybe this is a relationship I need to leave? Right. And I think especially if you notice the same patterns in yourself with many different partners, that's a good clue of "Mm, this might be a pattern in my thinking, actually, and not just signs I'm seeing in this other person. So some examples of unhealthy ways of trying to deal with this would be something like asking your partner to promise you that they'll that you will always be number one compared to anyone else. And it's this or, or this promise me you'll never leave me type of a thing, which nobody can give that promise. That's not really a promise that someone can make. And, you know, we're, we're scared of that uncertainty. And so we want them to just tell us that, but you're really not addressing the actual issues underneath it. Those beliefs maybe you have about yourself or about other people, uh, or demanding that you close your relationship. This is something that partners may decide to do, but deciding to do it as this, well, I'm afraid that you're going to leave me, so therefore we're going to close it. That that might not, you know, you might be looking to solve a problem that that actually won't solve. Same thing even in monogamous relationships, where it's, you need to stop going to these work events because, uh, you know, I'm afraid of you liking this coworker of yours, or I need you to stop hanging out with this friend of yours because I'm uncomfortable and I'm afraid of you leaving me for them or something like that, right? That those can be these ways of restricting that aren't actually going to solve the problem for yourself and are going to make things shittier for your partner. So there's a lot of ways that we can talk about as far as, you know, healthier responses to our fear. And one of those is to just acknowledge the fear rather than try to not deny it. And I'm going to share with you um, just one sentence that's always stuck with me from um, a book by Pima Chodron that I read recently. And she talks about asking the Zen master, uh, specifically Koben Chino Roshi, if you were curious about which Zen master it was, <laughs> about uh-huh. how he related with fear. And all he said was, I agree. I agree. Mm. And mm. that always really stuck with me. I mean, it sounded really freaking scary, first of all, but kind of this idea of being able to agree with your own fears of like, yeah, that is scary. And yeah, that is a risk. And yeah, you can get hurt. And even that in itself of being able to kind of sit with that a little bit. And, and I want to clarify that it's like sitting with your fears a little bit different from asking somebody to like sit through a panic attack or sit with like an anxiety attack. That's, that's not exactly the same thing. But, you know, being willing to acknowledge them to yourself and also sometimes acknowledging them to a partner. A partner may not be able to solve all your fears right away, but sometimes bringing them out into the light can be really, really helpful. Mm. And this isn't easy for a lot of people. I mean, I found some people are super fine just being very vulnerable, being just like, yeah, I'm afraid of you leaving me. I'm afraid of you liking this other person better. I'm afraid of you, um, you know, becoming really disappointed with me, or I'm afraid of myself failing you, stuff like that. And other people, it's really, really hard to even say that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, I think our our culture and, you know, maybe sometimes stuff like toxic masculinity, you know, kind of lead people to feel like maybe they can't admit to their fears. 
But sometimes even being able to just come to a place of just being like, I have an apprehension about this, or I have a concern about this can sometimes be an easier feeling way of being able to express that to your partner. And like with a lot of these, it's also important to remember, you know, often our fears are ancient. They go back really, really far. They go back to a past relationship or a past past relationship, or even back before we were even having romantic or sexual relationships. They can go really far. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that and honor that as well and generate some compassion for yourself, for your partners, for your metamors, you know, to the best of your ability. Something to throw in there about admitting your fears to your partner. And I think this comes up with the people who have a really easy time going there, that sometimes that in itself can be a tool for manipulating and also making the problem worse. If you're sharing your fears with the expectation of, I need my partner to solve it for me. And I think that's a key difference. It's, it's one thing to admit your fears and just say, hey, this is going on and I'm, I'm working on it versus this is going on. I need you to scramble and try to fix it. Like, I want mm. you to try to employ all the rules and things that I want to put on you, but you're going to do it for yourself because I'm using this as a manipulation. So that is one little caveat to that that I think is worth mentioning just based on things that we've seen. So the last way that jealousy manifests itself, not the absolute last way, but the last one that we're (laughs) going to talk about is loss of control. Uh, So this is this inability to accept that your partner is an independent person and that they can make choices that are independent of you and what maybe you want for them or what you think is best for them or best for your relationship. That doesn't always go together. Those things don't. And that's okay. So it may include a fear that your partner won't care for you if they're free and uncontrolled, or it grows out of this idea that nobody is going to love you and stay with you if they had another choice. And again, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who are starting out in non-monogamous relationships or even who are in monogamous relationships, they have this idea that like, hey, I have this fear that my partner is going to leave me, or I have this fear that my partner is going to meet someone else that's better than me and decide, you know what, fuck that other person. They suck in comparison. Mm. That's a really universal thing, I think, for everyone um, in in whatever type of relationship configuration you're in. Yeah, and like you said, Emily, that that idea that if my partner had free will, if they had their choice, <laughs> clearly they wouldn't stay with me. Which, which, yeah. if you stop and think about it, is a is a pretty problematic belief to have. And I, a lot of people have it and it is very difficult. I've definitely, definitely felt that to, way. Yeah. yeah. I used to feel that way about, you know, a lot of partners that I've had. Yeah. And I don't know. It, I, it's, it, it's a really like debilitating place to be in, in a lot mm. of ways. So yeah, let's talk about some ways that that can manifest. Yeah. So, I mean, whenever we're feeling loss of control, generally as human beings, it's such a disorienting feeling. And often it can manifest as essentially, you know, the phenomenon of like when you're falling off a cliff, you literally grab onto whatever it is that you can grab onto, sometimes completely from a knee-jerk place without even thinking about like, is this the thing that's actually going to support me? Is this the thing that's actually going to bring me back into control? You know? And so that's how we hear all these horror stories, you know, all these stories where people have been so burned by partners really trying to control and manipulate and limit them, you know, we can do things like, you know, limit information or keep things from our partner or the opposite, be trying to snoop around and like ferret things out or really dictate our partner's behavior or who they hang out with or or when or things like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of this is just kind of like this knee-jerk reaction to uncertainty, Yeah. And then if we look at healthier ways of dealing with that, for this category, a lot of the things we've said in other categories also apply here of communicating about it, expressing your fears, but don't expect your partner to solve it for you, stuff like that. But for this one, there's also, we'll give you some kind of less traditional things to think about that I think can can be really helpful for this one, that I think this loss of control is very hard for people to deal with because part of accepting it is letting go of the need of control rather than finding the best way to get that control. And I think that's 
a little counterintuitive and, and can be really challenging. So one way of doing this, and Dedeker loves talking about this as well, which is taking a moment to go out of your way to do something nice mm-hmm. for someone else, whether that's a forward. partner or maybe it's even a metamor, but it also could just be some friend you haven't talked to in a while or even a random stranger, I suppose, of just kind of getting your focus outside of yourself into how can I make the world better for someone else, I think can help us get out of this idea that, well, if, if other people have free will, they're always going to screw me over. Because you're sort of proving, hey, it doesn't have to work that way. It, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Uh, another one is tapping into your other resources, your other friends, people that you hang out with, just to have other things going on in your life so that you're not entirely reliant upon, well, if I don't have control in this one area, this one area of my life, meaning my partner, is all I have, right? This one can, it has been shown to particularly show up with straight men that often once men are in committed relationships, we're sort of taught that you don't really value any other relationships. You don't really maintain other friendships. So that romantic partner can be your only emotional support at all. And that can really lead to that fear of loss of control or fear of uncertainty being incredibly heightened because you've got all your eggs in that one basket, so to speak, all of your sort of support system eggs, support system eggs. Yeah. You know, that thing that exists. (laughs) (laughs) another thing to try, and this one's maybe a little bit more woo woo, but there is some science to back it up. And we're actually going to talk about this a little bit more in our bonus episode for patrons after this. But it's this. If there's a particular thought that is about uncertainty that's causing you to be upset, to be scared, right? Something like, I don't know that my partner won't cheat on me. No, it's a double negative there. But like, (laughs) there is always a possibility my partner could cheat on me. Or there's always a possibility my partner could leave me. And those are just, that's true. That's a fact. There's nothing you can do about that. But if that thought is something that really can preoccupy your mind, something that you could try is giving yourself an opportunity to reprogram your body's physical response to that Mm. thought. And this can look a lot of different ways and you can find therapists who can help do this in a much more structured and controlled way, especially if it, this is a very serious anxiety that you have. But a little version of this you could try at home is maybe taking a bath or in some other way, getting comfortable, feeling good and say that thought that you're struggling with out loud of, you know, I, I don't know if my partner will leave me. And say that over and over again a few times, maybe 15 times or something like that, while feeling good. And just the point of this isn't for you to have no feeling at all when you say it, but that by just acknowledging it while feeling comfortable can just take a little bit of that edge off. And doing this even for, you know, maybe a few days in a row will just help take a little bit of that edge off to just reduce that level of agitation or intensity that comes with the thought. Something to try, like I said, it's a little bit more woo-woo and out there, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the science having to do with that in our bonus episode. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, with the whole... Uh, so, so I'm someone who loves being in control. I don't uh-huh. know if you know this about me. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. And... I'm glad that you are in control most of the I'm time. <laughs> not though is the thing. Like specifically with this whole pandemic, it's really, really mm. been challenging my sense of being able to be in control of all the things at all times. And so these days, I can't even really get to these kind of higher level healthy responses. Like sometimes the best I got is like, well, I'm gonna go cook something because that's something I can control. Mm, (laughs) Or I'm gonna go clean something. I'm gonna go organize something because that's something that I can control. And I think of it as a kind of in case of emergency break glass sort of response to dealing with overwhelming feelings of loss of control. But that's just me. Cooking cooking is breaking the glass. Yes. Just some little (laughs) tiny thing that I can control. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Or I'm going to go work out or just something, just some little tiny arena helps, Mm. helps to ground me a little bit. 
Yeah, it's that makes advice. sense. Yeah. So in conclusion, just remember, y'all, that feeling jealous, feeling any of these things doesn't mean that you're failing. It's totally normal. You know, I think part of being a human being that continues to grow and change is using these feelings as a cue for figuring out what is it that you need in your life and what is it that you need in your relationships. If you're listening to this and this sounds like a person that you know or a partner that you're with, as we always say, don't weaponize this shit against them. Be kind, be compassionate. Like, this is hard. And I think all of us need to develop just a little bit more care for ourselves when we're struggling with these things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Care for yourselves. And also just remembering that the feelings are natural and it's okay to experience that. And if you're normal, you're normal. Yeah. And if you are experiencing jealousy for a reason, like your partner is being very shady or dodgy with you, then yeah, that's a serious thing to look into. Jealousy shouldn't be, you don't weaponize it against other people and don't weaponize it against yourself. If, if there are very good, logically founded reasons for why you're feeling it. But even if that's the case, and this is something you need to take action about, like leaving the relationship, these things are still really important to keep in mind as you move forward and to just make it so you're not suffering any more than you already need to, right? So we love you all. And in our bonus episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about top-down and bottom-up approaches to the way our emotions affect our thoughts and our behaviors. And we're very excited for that. And then also, we would love to hear from you. How do, what do you do when you're feeling jealous? How do you take care of yourself when you're feeling jealous? You can share that answer on our Instagram story where we ask that question. And if you want to talk more about this episode, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 